0: Someone went to Jaffrabad to check if people have been kept there, to the Jaffrabad police station. Someone went to Mustafabad to check if people are there. Another team went to Seemapuri and found that the people have been kept over there. Uh, Seelampur was uh, taken care of. So, you know, I think that that one night sort of also gave us the confidence that we are all relying on each other. There's an unspoken trust that we do have each other's back um, in some sort of way.
1: You are listening to the voice of Mishika Singh. Mishika is a Delhi-based lawyer, one of many who responded to calls for legal assistance following the riots of February 2020. Over several days, 53 people, official figures say, lost their lives. More than two-thirds of those dead were Muslims who had been attacked by Hindu mobs. In nearly all cases, the police who were present took no action even when violence led to death. In the aftermath of the riots, many Muslims who had been living in the riot-affected neighbourhoods of northeast Delhi left with all their belongings. Temporary relief camps were set up by the Delhi government. Mishika was among several volunteer lawyers who came forward to help those living in these camps get back on their feet. Like many of them, Mishika was already part of the informal networks of public-spirited lawyers that had emerged during the nationwide protests against the Citizenship Amendment Act, or the CAA, and the National Register for Citizens, or the NRC. Just a few weeks before violence engulfed northeastern Delhi, governments across India, and especially in Uttar Pradesh and Delhi, had begun systematically silencing dissenting voices. Protesters were subjected routine police violence detained and arrested they needed lawyers
0: so i had my regular practice where uh, you know i had some civil cases some check bouncing cases the regular domestic violence and matrimonial cases which was a part of my ongoing practice and these are the clients that i've had for a while what changed in december was the jamia incident after which there was uh, a collective of lawyers formed to sort of help people um, Uh, help people who were getting illegally detained, there was this arbitrary imposition of section 144 all over the country. Uh, If you wanted to organize a protest and you put it out on social media, the next thing you know is that the police has just announced that there's 144 over there without really giving any reason, any sort of explanation. Sometimes it wasn't even announced and uh, you were just lifted off, off from that place without being told the reasons. And then once you were at the police station, that's where you were told that there was a 144 over there that no one really knew about. So those were the kind of things that started happening and 15th December onwards uh, a group of us was actively involved on ground uh, in taking care of these cases. So there were detentions that we were taking care of, there was uh, um, uh, illegal uh, uh, detentions of people being picked up, people being harassed, uh, those are the kind of things we were taking uh, care of. There were not, lo- not a lot of arrests that took place before the riots. That mostly happened after the riots, so that kind of also became a part of our practice. Except uh, this was more large scale, this was more uh, pan India, and this was more prevalent in pockets where protests were happening. So there was, after a point in time, there was a very uh, um, a very uh, mechanical route that was being followed by the police. They would assemble before the protesters assembled. They started picking up protesters before they could collect in numbers. They would take them to the police station and keep them till 6 or 7 in the evening since it was winters at that point in time. They would threaten to file cases against them. They would uh, sometimes misbehave, sometimes not behave. The Daryaganj Ganj... Um, uh, incident was one of the times where you realize that because of the difference in gentry, the way the protesters are uh, treated is also different. People who were picked up from there, there those were, that was the first lot of arrests that took place. Uh, this was the ninth, uh, night of 19th December. So what happened in Daryaga and Simapur and Silampur was the first lot of arrests that basically carved out uh, different aspects of the legal work. For this whole bunch of people who were working uh, around the rights of the protesters.
1: Establishing trust and learning to work with each other would prove crucial when, after the violence at Rock Delhi in February, lawyers like Mishika turned to these prior networks to respond to urgent calls for legal help. During this period, they also learned to take steps to protect their physical safety
0: and uh, it was amazing to see the night jnu happened uh, one person reached out and said this is what is happening and i need backup and eventually there were 50 lawyers over there same way darya ganj when we reached before me there were two other lawyers by the time i reached for the next two hours uh one 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 and a half hours there was absolutely nothing but uh, because no one was around there was a protest at india gate and people were not really and we are in Daryagan so all the roads are blocked and you know that area was inaccessible from India Gate It it's not that far but it took us more than 45 minutes to get there. But once word got round there were people toiling there till 6.30 in the morning making sure everyone who was inside who's not been arrested is released. Whether it's minors, whether it's women, whether it's uh, these other guys who'd been detained but not been arrested. All of them were released and it started at 7.30 in the evening and it ended at some 6.30 in the morning and it, it, it started raining in between but it was just and people some people came if they had to leave then other people took over there was separate teams that formed amongst themselves that they went to different jails to check. Someone went to Jaffrabad to check if people have been kept there to the Jaffrabad police station. Someone went to Mustafabad to check if people are there. Another team went to Seemapuri and found that the people have been kept over there. Uh, Seelampur was uh, taken care of. So, you know, I think that uh, that one night sort of also gave us the confidence that we are all relying on each other. There's an unspoken trust that we do have each other's back uh, in some sort of way. So, when we reached Daryagansh, there were two other women lawyers before me. I I reached and I had two other young male lawyers with me. But apart from us, there was not even a single civilian on ground. And there were at least 500 RAF officers and uh, uh, police in uh, right gear and all of uh, this uh, Uh, patrolling police and it was just a very messy situation. There was blood, there was glass, there was... uh, you could see that there had been a stampede, there were broken chappals and sandals all over uh, uh, this area right in front of the Daryaganj police station. Uh, And uh, initially since all the places were locked we had to walk a long way, we had to cross MAMC but when we reached there it was... uh, it wasn't the the most secure environment to be in. It wasn't... uh, the most uh, uh, assuring feeling for just four or five of us being there especially since all the roads were blocked so it was scary so uh, the good thing that we did was that we informed people uh, about our location. I personally shared my live location so that at least my live location is uh, sort of uh, been there. But uh, mostly those are the kind of small things that have been there that you inform before you go, you share your location, you do have a power bank because you don't know where you'll be stuck and for how long. Uh, Police has been, uh, especially in northeast Delhi when these, uh, this is before the riots happened, Uh, when all these arrests and detentions happened and these, when people were singled out. Uh, Over there when we've gone, the attitude of the police has been very uh, hostile and uh, very uncouth. So, uh, all that has happened, we've tried to go in groups, we've tried not to have one person in one place and if someone else can go then we've always preferred that so that at least there are two, three lawyers at uh, any given place, at any given point in time. But uh, that's mostly about it. It's a shame that we're in a country where we have to look at our safety when we are dealing with the police, which is actually responsible for our safety.
1: Hello and welcome to the Nagrik Podcast. My name is Aju John and on this podcast, you can listen as I learn from the people who have worked to bring about meaningful change. The Nagrik Podcast is a part of Nagrik Open Civic Learning, which promotes open educational resources for civic training so that more citizens are able to assume active roles in building inclusive and democratic societies. Right now at www.nagriklearning.com, there is an online course where you can learn for free to use the tools of law and governance to advocate for the interests of India's forest-dwelling communities. India has a deep history of violent incidents between religious and caste groups. In independent India, there have been several incidents where parts of the state machinery have been complicit in the violence targeted at a particular community. For instance, the current Prime Minister of India, Narendra Modi, who was then Chief Minister of Gujarat, remains accused of initiating and condoning the three-day period of communal violence in Gujarat in 2002, which ended according to official figures with 1,044 dead, the large majority of whom were Muslims. Police and government officials allegedly directed the rioters and gave them lists of Muslim-owned properties. The violence in Delhi was on a smaller scale, but many of these ingredients were present. It was enough to shock the lawyers who received distress calls.
0: So 24th is when the riots started and we were, I had left from Jaffrabad metro station to go to one of the police stations with a couple of lawyers to get some people released. So we were in that area when things started happening Uh, and uh, the first call that came was this batch of calls regarding the injuries that were happening where people were uh, uh, getting uh, assaulted and they didn't know what to do and since by this time we'd already been on ground for two and a half months our numbers are mostly already there so people knew where they could reach out uh if whoever didn't know eventually found a way to reach out so initially the distressed calls were the injuries that were being caused i was with three other lawyers at gtb hospital where bodies started coming in and uh, people who were hurt started coming the other one was where they were calling and telling us that they're setting our houses on fire, they're setting our people on fire, they're setting our shops on fire and even as lawyers we were not able to do much because that area was literally burning and uh, we we couldn't do anything. We asked them to call in 100 number. A lot of these victims that we worked with had their call record numbers. We called a lot of times but uh, we got absolutely no response but these were the main categories. Uh, that uh, the call started uh, coming in of uh, people suffering injury and uh, loss uh, and arson cases.
1: You are still listening to the voice of Mishika Singh. On this episode of the Nagrik Podcast, we are going to learn from lawyers like her who provided much needed services to the victims of communal violence. Nagrik Podcasts are a part of Nagrik Open Civic Learning. If you want to learn for free about the rights of India's forest-dwelling communities, then do visit www.nagriklearning.com, where you can learn from a course supported by Oxfam India. What is the role of the public-spirited lawyer after large-scale violence has been directed at members of any community? History shows us two intertwining paths. The first is to fix responsibility on the perpetrators of the violence through the criminal legal system. The objective here would be to ensure that those who caused the violence are tried and punished. The other is to ensure that those who were injured or lost members of their families or their homes or their businesses are compensated and supported to return to a life similar to the one they lived previously. Gagan Sethi walked down these intertwining paths in the aftermath of the violence in Gujarat in 2002. He is the founder of Janvikas, a development support and training organization and the Center for Social Justice, an initiative for human rights and access to justice. You
2: know, this, how do you handle denial, a total denial of a state? And how do you prove? uh, And there, I think the media came a lot to the rescue that there were hundreds of these um, camps, refugee camps, and the plight of these camps but at that stage we also started hearing that this violence was very different because there was a very big um, you know communal riots in gujarat are not new um, i mean it has a history and if you read the book it'll sort of records all the history what we immediately did was uh, we went to delhi and got a group of very Senior women journalists and activists led by uh, Dr. Saida Hamid, and we requested them. It was, I remember, me and my colleague Martin McQuan. We went to Delhi and requested that they come and very quickly do um, a recce and just take note and do the stories of those women who were victims of sexual violence. And they very quickly came up with a book on this thing called Survivors Speak. I think because of the, one, they were from outside, not from within Gujarat. Um, and it came out very fast. So if you ask me for a strategy, uh, what do you need to, do at those times is speed. Uh, you can't do the best of the researches and you have the time to this thing. Speed becomes so critical to visibilize what is happening and to bring in um, stories which which, which really uh, rattle the conscience of the larger public. Uh, I remember even getting Anu Aga from the industry. So it is not just about activists, it's about bringing many other stakeholders to the sites, to see for themselves, to talk to victims, and then they talk of the stories, rather than just um, you know the so-called activist NGOs operating. Um, so I think that's the other strategy, which, if you ask me on hindsight, worked a little bit in the first round, But after some time, it worked, it was counterproductive. And I'll tell you why. Initially, naming and shaming as a standard strategy works so that it brings world attention. Um, But after some time, when society is polarized so much in a state, naming and shaming further hardens the positions and therefore... Uh, the political process was to actually use the naming and shaming to the advantage of the, uh, to those who were in power, converting it to say that they are all anti gujaratis Now you see how it is working. You're trying a strategy and they're trying a counter strategy and in the long run the counter strategy uh, uh, further polarizes the community. Into Hindus and Muslims. So even if you are, I am a Hindu, I am said he is not a Hindu. He was trained by a Christian, Uh, he worked for the Christian, Um, and he's, you know, uh, he's bought over by the Muslims. And the rest of them who are Muslims, in any case, are polarized because of their identity. So you have to be very careful how you manage that initial um, sort of building the Public evidence and the public naming and shaming strategy, uh, but I think that survivor's speak was very important. Later on, there were many public hearings, and public hearings are a very standard uh, strategy used across whenever atrocities happen. Many groups came and judges retired, judges came, and all that. Um, but I think its by that time the thing had got so polarized that it didn't make a difference um, what you are gathering.
1: It was a precursor to developments in the media several years later. Even in the face of mounting evidence to the contrary, the state was adamant that the scale of the violence was being exaggerated and that the state had no role at all in organizing or directing the violence. This approach of the state determined a part of Gagan's strategy to build evidence that could not be disputed.
2: But uh, 2002 was... uh... In a sense, almost state supported, if not sponsored, violence. Um, And that's been well recorded um, across. What happens when um, the police is complicit? What happens when bureaucracy is complicit? Um, And there is a denial by the state that anything, any violence is happening when. There are pictures, media stories, everybody's seeing. Uh, the world, the, the whole communities are participating in it. And yet, there is a refusal to acknowledge the fact that such a violence is happening. That's a very, very strange situation which one does not uh, sort of work with uh, when one is dealing with um, other forms of violence on the streets of one community against the other, which are limited to specific, very, very specific geographic zones. But when you have something like 2002, which was across the state, um, then it becomes very large. And therefore, what do you have to do then? uh, Becomes a very different way to look at it. So Two things happen. One is that, uh, you need to uh, start building your evidence, um, which proves that it is uh, it is the scale is big. Uh, you have to start collecting evidence um, by uh, actually um, sending people. So I remember my my friend Stalin, uh, group, who was a filmmaker in Trishti. Um, actually taking a camera and building a footage. Um, but one of the first things which we did, I remember, um, is that uh, we tried to bring in the NHRC, which is the National Human Rights Commission. Fortunately, if you know that just before 2002, there was 2001, and 2001 was the earthquake. Um, and Um, that was also a large-scale human rights tragedy. And the NHRC had at that time set up a special monitoring group uh, to monitor human rights violations in uh, Gujarat of the earthquake, which meant those who were excluded in relief, those who were discriminated in relief, how do you sort of monitor that and get the state? Fortunately, almost three days later, or four days later, And I was part of the committee along with Nambudri and there were two other, one professor of IIM and another ex-bureaucrat. Fortunately, the uh, Human Rights Commission issued an order that we have heard this and the same committee will now continue to monitor this. So in a sense, we got a legitimacy from the Human Rights Commission to actually Uh, be able to uh, monitor and then report. So, therefore, we got some degree of legitimacy, which otherwise normally civil society does try to invoke other judicial systems um, to come in like the State Human Rights Commission or the the National Human Rights Commission. Um, So, that gave us the starting point. Um, And then the other big point is that you remember, uh, I mean, if you know that um, the organization I belong to is also known as the Center for Social Justice, other than Janvikas, which I founded. Um, and Center for Social Justice had a presence of lawyers and paralegals across the state. Um, so, in that sense, we had a first line of workers and people who were actually on the ground who could. Um, go out there in the field to um, gather the evidence. We also sent a call at that stage to all those organizations who thought that they, they couldn't just stop at this. They may be doing mitti work, they may be doing um, educational work, but when such a large-scale violation happens, uh, they need to set aside all that and come into the into the fray to as part of a collection of evidence building. Immediately what we actually did was framed a a model FIR and actually started training our frontline workers of how to record this large uh, violation and then They started actually going, interviewing people, recording the deaths, uh, recording the amount of damages that are being done, um, recording the fact that there was large-scale migration where people in thousands were coming into camps. Um, We had people then going into the camps which were not state-supported, but largely supported by the Muslim community. so at that level, um, we, we had to actually start in terms of thousands and thousands of people's FIRs being taken, knowing fully well that actually they will not all find um, fruition, but you actually get them done, you get them, um, in a sense, notarized, and you create that first level of uh, documentation. So therefore, if you ask me, um, when you have this scale, then you need a huge listing of uh, volunteers who then build that baseline of proof other than visual documentation. And of course, then the media is normally very active. You work with them to create that base that no, the denial of the state is not true, uh, that there is another Uh, reality. So I think that's the very first step that you need to be doing.
1: That was the voice of Gagan Sethi. You are listening to the Nagrik podcast where you can learn from the people who have worked to bring about meaningful change. If you like listening to this podcast, please tell your friends, family and colleagues about it. Akram Akhtar Chaudhary, an activist, was pursuing his law degree in New Delhi when clashes between Hindu and Muslim communities in and near the Muzaffarnagar district of Uttar Pradesh in August and September 2013 resulted in at least 62 deaths. 42 of the dead were Muslims. More than 50,000 people were displaced. After the state government organized relief camps, Akram felt that the education of the children in these camps needed his immediate attention. He paused his legal education and returned to Uttar Pradesh the english translation of akram's words has been voiced by my friend n vivekananda to so, september
3: mein jab uh, uh, 2013 mein violence so, hua uh, yahan to iska jo mainly epic center tha wo shamli aur muzaffarnagar tha bade star pe yahi pe zyada deaths hui yahi pe zyada logon ke gharon mein aag lagayi gayi loot pat hui aur gaon ke gaon pure gaon khali ho displacement the epicenter of the violence in september was shamli and most of the deaths happened
4: there most houses that were set on fire were in these regions. Many villages were abandoned and people were forcibly displaced. Some of this also happened in Mirat and Bagpat, but we did not see the high levels of displacement that we saw in Shamli and Mirafat The Muslims who were somewhat better off in these areas, including some farmers, established camps and started supporting the camps in these regions. And there was help arriving from outside as well.
3: एजुकेशन थी बच्चों की वो बिल्कुल छूट गई थी तो उसको लेकर के एनएचआरसी को हमने लिखा और तब कोई इस तरह का ऑर्गेनाइजेशन वो नहीं था बल्कि इंडिविजुअली हम कुछ लोकल लोग थे साथी थे यूथ दो तीन लोग ही थे ज्यादा नहीं तो हमने आ, अक्टूबर में ही फिर आ, सर्वे करना शुरू किया बच्चों का खासकर �
4: We noticed that the education of children living in these camps had been completely interrupted. We petitioned the NHRC about this. We actually did not have a large organization at that time, it was just a few local youth. We started surveying the children, especially those children who had to give their board exams shortly. If they did not give their exams now, their future opportunities would be affected. So after our survey of all these resettlement areas. We identified about 300 such children who were due to give their board exams for the 10th and the 12th grades. This was an urgent priority for us. Our plan was to support them in getting admitted to the local education system of the place to which they were now staying, and we were successful.
3: This was our plan, and that's why we worked. We wrote the NHS, we wrote education board, the senior secondary, and the state government, और लोकल जो DIUS होता है, डिस्ट्रिक्ट इंस्पेक्टर ऑफ स्कूल्स, उनको लिखा तो एजुकेशन मैं समझता हूँ। We wrote
4: to the National Human Rights Commission, Senior Secondary Board of Allahabad, the State Government, and the District Inspector of Schools. So, of
3: uh, 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 A lot uh,
4: of other uh, people uh, were engaged September in relief work, he, so, uh, so we decided to focus uh, on education. we
3: मर्डर और प्रॉपर्टी लॉस वगैरह तो सितंबर में ही दो तीन
4: simultaneously there were some government orders in relation to compensation for death and for property loss so whatever time we had remaining we provided legal support at that time i did not have a deep understanding of these aspects so it was important to engage local lawyers as well some friends from the Karana bar started helping us Together, we started helping with filing first information reports and things like that. This is what we did in September and October and we continued this work till December. In January, there were problems with securing admissions for children and registering them for their exams. So we advocated with the district administration. Because several schools had stopped issuing admit cards, we were working on individual cases of securing them by taking the matters to the district magistrate. We were doing this in parallel until the exams were concluded in March
3: individual-individual cases, DIUS, district magistrate, all of them took place. They went to a so, parallel education started, and in March, they were examined so, until they were paralleled.
1: Between August and September of 2013, violence raged in Muzaffarnagar and surrounding areas for several weeks. In many places, the police did not take any action to control the violence. This raised several questions about the capacity of the state government to come forward with a fair and just response in the aftermath of the violence, even though it was the Samajwadi party, not known for its majoritarian politics, that was in power. But in September itself, the government announced a compensation scheme for the victims and constituted a special investigation team to investigate the different incidents that had led to so much death loss of property and displacement yeah lekin legal
3: system pe sawal log utha rahe the ki hum sity mein jaise jo jo log statement record kara ke aaye kyunki hame wo saath mein nahi baithne dete the jo witness the ya fir jo complainant the unko wo andar bula lete the hum bahar rehte the matlab compound mein lekin andar nahi jaane dete the jo hall mein jo statement record hota tha aur wo camera pe us pe lete the uh, pe However, people were raising questions lila about the legal system. Ha
4: we ha were not allowed ha to ha accompany ha the witnesses ha and complaints who were recording their statements ha before their psyche. They would be recorded on camera. So then we would ask them ha to ha record ha a written ha statement, ha statement ha on, ha on ha affidavit ha so that it becomes a part of the record several times the SIT would consider the written record and the video record for some others they did not support the victims as they were supposed to
3: SIT ne bhi kafi drill drill kiya investigation ko aur proper ek tarah se victim ka jo saath dena hota hai wo bilkul nahi diya yahan tak jo aap pooch the ki wo pura process kaisa tha wo usme aise hi tha ki phone aata tha to wo phone hum local mein yahi the to the process was that they would receive a call from
4: the SIT to record their statement. We would then speak to them and ask them to remember what had happened We would ask them to retrieve their IR and describe to them what they already seem to have said in their IR. We would then tell them to repeat to the SID exactly what they have said. That is, what time the incident happened, who were present, and who all were injured at that moment. These are the broad details required in what is known as a section 161 statement. And it should be enough if you just repeat what is said in the affair. When a statement is recorded before a magistrate, then there is a lot more detail. But in this case, we only needed to prepare them with what they already knew. The requirement was merely for them to record before the SID, the same thing they had previously recorded in the fire. People did this very well, but I would like to add here that the SID behavior was not right. There had been 10 deaths in the town of Lar and the SIT began recording of statements from there. When our friends returned from recording their statements, they told us that the very people responsible for the violence were roaming there. There were several such allegations against the SIT. People were taking ghee and homemade butter to give to the SIT and money as well. The officers of the SIT were also meeting the accused. It was not clear how the accused were able to go and meet the SIT. ऐसा भी
3: दे रहे हैं और एसआईटी के जो इन्वेस्टिगेट जो जो ऑफिसर्स हैं इन्वेस्टिगेट कर रहे थे वो जाके एक्यूज से भी मिल रहे हैं तो ये चीजें क्लियर नहीं हो पाई कि ये कैसे हो रहा है कि अक्यूज जा जाके वहीं पे जाकर के वहां मुलाकात कर रहे हैं इसीलिए मैं कहूंगा कि सितंबर में वायलेंस हुआ है अगर ये अक्टूबर नवंबर दिसंबर एंड जनवरी फरवरी मार्च after the violence in September,
4: Supreme no major arrests were made, even until March. Very few arrests were made. In March of 2014, the Supreme Court took a strict view of the matter. In many cases, even cases of rape had not been registered properly. The Supreme Court took note uh, of these uh, uh, and issued instructions to the Uttar Pradesh government. It was only then that the arrest began. But the people, even those arrested under cases of murder, came out on bail. This was because the SIT's investigation was very weak and was, in fact, intentionally concluded in that manner to destroy the legal system.
3: बड़ी संख्या में मैं समझता हूं 3 अगले 3 5 महीने में ही मर्डर और दूसरे अन्य मामलों में ना लोग बेल पे आना शुरू हो गए क्योंकि वो जो इन्वेस्टिगेशन थी एसआईटी की वो बहुत वेग थी और वेग वो जानबूझ के एक तरह से जो लीगल सिस्टम था पूरा उसको तोड़ मरोड़ के पेश किया कितने केस रजिस्टर हुए हैं उनमें से कितने क्लो, कितने विदाउट एनी इन्वेस्टिगेशन जो है वो क्लोज कर दिए हैं यानी क्लोजर रिपोर्ट फाइल कर दी है कुछ में इन्वेस्टिगेशन uh, के बाद क्लोजर रिपोर्ट फाइल कर दी है और चारशीट जो मुश्किल से है वो अभी
4: I recently filed an RTI application and was able to learn how many cases were closed without investigation and in a few other cases where the closure report was filed after an investigation. Chart sheets were filed and trials commenced only in about 70 to 80 cases. So, you see that from about 554 cases that were registered and investigated by the a proper investigation leading to the filing of a charge sheet happened in less than 100 of them. And in a lot of those cases, the accused were not convicted.
3: And in conviction. the case of the cases
4: If you consider Muzaffar Nagar today, after six years, there has not been a single conviction. In fact, the only convictions so far have been those of five Muslim youth who were convicted in an incident of retaliatory violence in which two people, Sachin and Gaurav died. So if you see cases were registered in large numbers where the majority have been closed, and even in those instances where there has been a charge sheet and an investigation, cases are we to be withdrawn, especially when witnesses came under pressure.
3: Ummer kahed ka. So, if you look at it, so many cases have been registered, more than 500, and most of them have been closed. And in those cases where an investigation has been a charge sheet has been filed, threats have been made. Uh, uh, the the uh, the my... There is
4: an example that I would like to give. This is a matter of shame for me and will remain so for my entire life. I insisted with the family to resist the threats and pressures they were facing and give evidence. That, uh, this was a case where this particular person uh, was the lone witness insist, in the murder of his brothers. I insist, uh, insist, in spite of informing the police about the repeated threats they were facing, this the, person was killed in broad daylight the, the, by the very people he had testified temptation. against.
3: Because uh, the the only, you know, uh, the, the main witness, uh, due to that, you know, uh, uh, actually uh, have been lost uh, uh, his life. और जिन लोगों ने उन उसका उसके भाइयों का दंगे वॉलेंस में मर्डर किया था सेम उनी लोगों ने गवाही देने के बाद उसका मर्डर किया पुलिस को इन्फॉर्म करने के बावजूद के मुझे धमकियां आ रही हैं और केस विद्रोह करने के आ, आ, प्रेशर बनाया जा रहा है बट यू नो कोई एक्शन नहीं लिया गया और देन आ, दिन ध the, the government
4: has said, absolutely not protected the, the uh, cases. The BJP government that came to power in 2017 issued three or four notifications withdrawing serious cases against BJP politicians and others. At first it was for nine cases and then for 40 cases. So the procedure needs to be followed for the withdrawal of cases several, uh, the local uh, district judges and district, district magistrate did not give the permission required within, uh, saying that this was a serious matter the uh, government then was on the back uh, foot as a result uh, and the media also took uh, up the issue like so during the first uh, government there were no trials uh, uh, and people were under pressure and the sit employed several tactics uh, uh, to delay investigations uh, uh, in a lot of cases uh, uh, they had not commenced investigations uh, 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 even after four so, to five years uh, this is in places uh, where they received more money
3: केसेस की थी उसके बाद फिर 40 केसेस की थी कि हम इनको विथड्रॉ करना चाहते हैं तो उसमें फिर क्या हुआ कि कुछ मीडिया और लोकल जो वहां के डीएम और डिस्ट्रिक्ट जज थे क्योंकि पूरा प्रोसेस होता है केस विथड्रॉ करने का तो जैसे ही 2017 में गवर्नमेंट आई और उसने प्रोसेस शुरू कर दिया वो वो उन्होंने नहीं दी कि ये बहुत सारे सीरियस के मैटर हैं और इनको हम आ, आ, विड्रो नहीं कर सकते तो फिर वो आ, एक तरह से गवर्नमेंट बैकफुट पे आई मीडिया में भी वो चीजें चलती रही तो ये सारी चीजें आप देख सकते हैं कि जो पहली गवर्नमेंट थी उसमें ट्रायल बिल्कुल नहीं चले सब आ, रुके रहे फिर उस दौ आईसीटी uh, का जो रोल था वो uh, अच्छी भूमिका थी उसकी कि वो uh, उसने भी इन्वेस्टिगेशन uh, को जो है डिले किया और ड्रेल करते रहे इधर से उधर इधर से उधर यानी कि के एक केस में दो-दो साल तीन-तीन साल पूरा लग गया उनको इन्वेस्टिगेट uh, uh, करने में इवेंट कई सारे केसेस में तो चार साल पांच साल बाद भी उन्होंने इन्� मोटा पैसा मिला था, लेकिन ये था कि इस ये था पूरा लीगल प्रोसेस जो मैंने बताया आपको कि एक भी केस में कन्विक्शन नहीं हुआ पांच साढ़े पांच केस रजिस्टर्ड हुए और ज्यादातर केसेस में क्लोजिंग रिपोर्ट लगा दी है कि उसमें इन्वेस्टिगेशन ही नहीं की एसआईटी ने और जिनमें लग so, not only has the there been no conviction after more than 550
4: case cases, t- cases were filed, uh, closure lo- reports have been filed umad in the majority of them because the SIT umad has not even investigated Uma them. Umad 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 them. Umad The only conviction so far has been where the case was filed from the Hindu side. So during this entire process, there was a lot of bias from the SIT, even though people had lost their trust from the very beginning. We could try to convince people to file a complaint against the closure report. The victim's families, however, were quite hesitant and completely lost their trust in the legal system. This was the entire process. A lot of people faced threats, and despite the several applications they filed, Neither the Samajwadi Party planning, government uh, nor the BJP government them, were able to protect uh, the witnesses. Uh, uh,
3: c- closing report. So the victim family actually, uh, uh, families were quite hesitant. So they, they, they were actually not thinking about that. They actually uh, completely lost their trust uh, in the legal system. So I feel, I, I, I felt that uh, at that time.
1: Like Akram did in Muzaffarnagar, Nagar, Gagan Sethi too had been forced to ask why the victims of the violence should expect any justice at all. He had in fact come up against a state government and police that was well documented to have been complicit in large-scale violence
2: targeted at Muslims. The faith is lost in the police system, uh, so the justice system has many aspects. What they lost was total faith in the police system because they saw the police very partisan. Um, but I think it was not that they lost faith in the legal system. Um, uh, and that is the justice system. So the point is, in a democracy, um, you, you have to peg yourself in some system with whom you, you sort of think that that would be able to Raise the issue, um, and remember, uh, at that time the, um, I mean, there was the state government and the central government, um, and uh, both were of the same party. To um, you, and to be able to create that cleavage uh, that the state is is the one which is um, at default, and. Um, so you actually then uh, have to try and restore some faith uh, with people that look and that way the NHRC came very much handy because it issued um, and Justice Varma came in for his visit. And it was very interesting when he came for his visit, the Bhajangdal actually held a dharna against him to tell the NHRC go back. Um, but you know, when you have this kind of a cleavage, where then the um, you do see and you, but but it, in a sense, the NHRC did um, send a message uh, that there is a a counter that there is somebody listening, and that there is somebody asking the question. Um, so I think in that sense, NHRC did become a peg. Later on, it's I mean, if you ask me. What has happened to it, that institution has been systemically killed. But during 2002, I think it made a very, very fundamental difference in what you asked, the very hope that somewhere there is a justice system.
1: Almost 18 years later, the victims in Delhi were also left to fend for themselves. They could not expect fair treatment from a police force that had only recently stood by and watched as they were being brutalized.
0: So uh, victims actually did not want to get into the criminal justice system because they called the police while people were being killed and houses were being set on fire and the police did not do anything. There were people who were assaulted by the police. There were people who were assaulted in front of the police. So going to the police to file uh, their complaints and FIRs was not their top priority. But they did want some compensation, some money to be given to them so that they could at least, because they had not been fed for three days. So 24, 25, 26, uh, no access to that area, absolutely no way to go and distribute ration. Those people have not been able to eat, they have fled their houses, so they have no place to stay. In that situation, their first need was to get some money and get some shelter. Uh, And that's why they were looking at some relief camp to be set up and some money to come in, some people to come and give ration. So a lot of relief camps uh, in terms of uh, the Russian relief was given after a point in time when we entered that area. But the criminal justice system uh, came into motion only because uh, Mm -hmm. the Delhi government's notification on compensation demanded that an FIR has to be filed for the compensation form to be processed. So then they were not, their interest after we... um, spoke to them also about pursuing the cases. They uh, very categorically said that if it wasn't for pursuing these cases for compensation, we probably wouldn't have done this. Uh, because we know the people who did it and we called these people and they didn't really turn up. So for us now, it's just a matter of survival. And uh, that's why we filing these complaints. We don't expect a lot from the system. How
1: then must lawyers go about the job? Of seeking justice from a system where the odds were stacked high against the victims, one of Guggan's first objectives in 2002 was to establish a legal framework within which victims could demand some rights and entitlements.
2: The issue which always comes in that when people come into camps is when uh, what is the compensation, how will they be helped, what are their legal rights? these questions then immediately start being discussed. And will the state give a compensation? Will the state um, help them go back? And we saw that the state was in denial. So We kept demanding, but uh, you're demanding something which the state is not accepting as even a reality happened. I remember at that time, I um, realized that the words being used by the state uh on this communal issue was that and the the, the the language discourse was that um there were the hardliners who were starting to call it um genocide <laughs> um, and the state saying it was a minor communal violence in a few places so you see the the total contrast in the two positions that are taken. And I realized that if I enter into that, I'll be pushed into uh, just again, uh, further polarizing. So I took up the issue that there is a concept of displacement and there is the larger international position on what is called IDPs the internally displaced persons due to violence, ethnic or communal, to which India is a signatory. And I kept using the word that we have X number of lakhs of IDPs and what are the rights of the IDP. And if you then look at the IDP, uh, and fortunately at that time, the UN Commissioner for IDP with a very dear friend, Walter Cullen. He's um, from Switzerland. Uh, you should Google him and uh, you'll see uh, an amazing kind of work which he had done on IDP. And what we did was we set up what is called in Gujarati an Antarik Vistapit Hakrakshak Simiti. It was called AVHRS. And that was a committee from representing from all the districts where um, the uh, violence had happened. And we started along with Anhad at that time which who was very active uh, and Janvikas and many other organizations joined to systematically do a full-blooded survey in each colony, numbers that are there so that of internally displaced and asking them for the rights from an internal displacement policy point of view, and saying since India has been a signatory uh, who are whose responsibility are they and whether the state will uh, will support such a thing or not by that time even um, the government had changed, so you had um, the center government uh, there with Manmohan Singh. I remember we making a lot of push at the center, uh, but the center was not accepting uh, that they fall under the internal displacement policy. I'm not taking it to the meta level to tell you the mobilization on the ground and an educational, mass educational process in the ground that all of you are internally displaced due to violence. And there is a legitimate law across the world, which allows you for some entitlements, including right to go back, protection, your camps having better standards, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, et cetera. <laughs> so you've got a framework.
1: Just to interrupt uh, you there, uh, can you briefly describe this mass education process that was happening?
2: So Uh, it's basically because we had set up these committees, in each of these committees, uh, each of these colonies, young boys and girls were recruited um, to do the surveys. And part of the survey was that they would go family to family, but then also tell them about the IDP status. And that what are we asking? Uh, We are asking that we be given IDP status, and which has great details about what should happen to children their education if you go into that you will see that it it links up with the that time present life of what the people were going through and was giving them an entitlement based on the present experiences they were having so therefore each colony set up their own committee of being internally displaced, started articulating they not as victims but as internally displaced people. Now, also emotionally, um, you can keep them in a victim's trap by continuously giving, you know, dole or food and things like that. But if you take them into another identity, um, it also brings in a certain um, how to put it, more than legitimacy, it gives them a space and scope uh, to see that there is a window to negotiate. And I think that to me was a very important uh, milestone. And we are, since we are talking strategies, um, of uh, I was really not bothered for the international naming and shaming. I mean, there were many others who were doing a lot of that. Um, To me, it was uh, how do you build a community uh, and resilient community uh, who will be fighting for their own status uh, because I knew it was going to take five, ten years.
1: I've also linked from the description of this episode a lecture by Professor Walter Kalin on the treatment of internally displaced people under international law. The United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs had in 2004, released its guidelines on internal displacement. These are also linked from the description of this episode. Principle 18, for example, states, and here I quote, Clause 1, all internally displaced persons have the right to an adequate standard of living. Clause 2, at the minimum, regardless of the circumstances and without discrimination, competent authorities shall provide internally displaced persons with and ensure access to A. Essential food and portable water B. Basic shelter and housing C. Appropriate clothing and D. Essential medical services and sanitation Stop quote Principle 23 places a duty on authorities to ensure that displaced persons and children in particular receive education Clause 4 of Principle 23 states Court, education and training facilities shall be made available to internally displaced persons, in particular adolescents and women, whether or not living in camps, as soon as conditions permit. Earlier in this episode, we had heard from Akram Akhtar Chaudhry about his efforts to ensure that the education of the child victims of muzaffarnagar Nagar and surrounding areas was not interrupted. He then turned his attention to securing compensation. He worked. Within the Framework of Government Compensation
3: Schemes. First, all, I would like to tell you this. The, the Victim Compensation Scheme is a central government which is called District Legal Service Authority. It is called from DLS. Day, there is a District Legal Service Authority in every account. And this the Legal Service Authority. Made, Article 39 a B, amendment tha, phir, uh, legal free legal aid victim compensation scheme compensation scheme of
4: the central government under the district legal services authority or the dlsa of every district has to provide free legal aid to the victims. This had followed the introduction of Article 39A into the Indian Constitution. Even under the Criminal Procedure Code, when any person is killed, a request can be made to the district judge or to the DLSA for compensation for death. This is available under Section 357. Another remedy available in some circumstances such as where there has been a lot of death and loss, such as a big accident or an incident of criminal dieting, is under a government order that announces compensation to the victims of that incident. That is what happened here. The state government said they would give rupees 10 lakhs in cases of death, rupees 20,000 for simple injuries and 50,000 for serious injuries. In places where houses were set on fire or looted, a minimum compensation of rupees 25,000 would be provided Rs. 50,000 yeah, for uh, more serious uh, loss. And in cases where a house has sustained loss in excess like of rupees 50,000, there will be an actual assessment a, uh, conducted to
3: determine uh, uh, the, the final amount. अब 20,000 देंगे सिंपल इंजरी के लिए और जो सीरियस इंजरी हुई है उनको हम 50,000 देंगे ऐसे हुआ और जिनके घर घर घरों में आग लगी है या लूटपाट हुई है घर तोड़ दिए गए हैं उनको हम 25,000 देंगे मिनिमम और जिनका थोड़ा ज्यादा नुकसान होगा उनको 50,000 देंगे Three
4: such orders okay. came from the Uttar Pradesh so, government. If, if, if the loss In such was, uh, situations however, where there has been fire or some type of loss, 50, 000, the district 000. magistrate or collector so, also has powers to make would, uh, an assessment and provide compensation uh, through it. Uh, In this so, case, after the state government announced uh, its plans to distribute compensation following such uh, assessments, the revenue so, officers uh, empowered uh, under that order completed a proper assessment. In fact where houses had been damaged due to fire, loss was assessed even at amounts as high as 3 to 4 lakhs. However, as soon as the government order came announcing categories of compensation, where those who had been forcibly displaced would be given rupees 5 lakhs, a reassessment was conducted to reduce the amounts to which loss had been initially assessed. We don't know whether this happened because of the local officers or as a result of orders from the state government. So a lot of people were left
3: out. लेकिन कुछ दिन बाद क्या हुआ कि वो पूरा जीओ आ गया गवर्नमेंट ओडर आ गया उसमें प्रॉपर चीजें क्लॉज वगैरह जो थे वो आ गए तो उसमें जो एसेसमेंट ऑलरेडी पटवारी जो होता ना लेक पाल रेवेन्यू ऑफिसर वो एसेसमेंट काफी कुछ कर चुका था तो उसमें हमने देखा वो लिस्ट हमने निकलवाई निकल उसम जिस घर में आग लगी है तो तीन लाख चार लाख पांच लाख ऐसे-ऐसे लॉस जो प्रॉपर्टी लॉस हुआ है वो उन्होंने असस किया है और वो प्रॉपर्टी उसकी लिस्टिंग की है उन्होंने लेकिन जैसे गवर्नमेंट ऑर्डर आता है और उसमें दिखाया कि जो रिहेबिलिटेड मतलब जो डिस्प्लेस हुए फोर्स फोर्सफुली और जो है इंजरी जो मैंने बताया तीन कैटेगरी जो थी अलग-अलग-अलग अलग-अलग कया कंपनसेशन की तो उसके आते ही इन्होंने क्या किया कि तो रीएसेस किया फिर इन्होंने कि अब हम जब पांच लाख भी दे रहे हैं और फिर ये आ, जो असेसमेंट हम कर रहे हैं प्रॉपर पूरा का पूरा तो उसका भी अगर हम देंगे तो ये बहुत पैसा
4: How should a family be defined? For example, consider a village where all 400 families living there were displaced. What if only the 70-year-old fathers were paid compensation? Suppose one such father has three sons who were all married and had families of their own. And these three sons were left out? When such matters came up, we did our research, recorded students, put their documents together such as electricity bills, Aadhaar cards, and the educational documents of the children. We surveyed the resettlement colonies and assessed how many had been left out. After that, people applied on their own and received compensation. Only nine villages were chosen for compensation for displacement. Some Muslims who were among the few in a village that was not badly affected by the violence were included, but some other villages that were badly affected
3: were left out. जिस स्कूल में बच्चे पढ़ते थे वो सब लिया और फिर हमने एक सर्वे हर हर जो जो ये अपने रिसेटलमेंट कॉलोनीज़ थी वहाँ पे सर्वे किया और सर्वे करके एक एसेस किया कि कितने लोग बच गए हैं तो उसमें लगातार हमने 2014 के 14 में भी किया फिर 15 में किया लगातार हम करते रहे और 14 में ही हम हमने एक जो है, पूरा उसका उसमें बड़ी संख्या में फिर लोगों ने अपने आप से भी अप्लाई किया और फिर उसके बाद भी लोगों को कम्पनसेशन मिला तो अगर हम देखें कि आईडेंटिफाई कैसे किया ये जो रिहैबिलिटेशन का जो कम्पनसेशन था मतलब डिस्प्लेसमेंट अगर कोई फैमिली हो गई है तो उसके लिए सिर्फ नो गांव चुने गए और कुछ गांव ऐसे भी थे कि जहां वायलेंस वा, वा वायलेंस ज्यादा नहीं हुआ लेकिन मुस्लिम परिवार कम थे उनको भी ले लिया कुछ गांव ऐसे थे जहां पे वायलेंस बहुत ज्यादा हुआ उनको छोड़ दिया तो ये जो डिस्ट्रिक्ट लेवल के ऑफिसर्स थे वो प्रॉपर आइडेंटिफाई नहीं कर पाए और बहुत सारे गांव ऐसे छोड़ दिए तो ये जो चीजें थी आ, आ, ये बड़ी संख्या में लोग छूट गए इसमें तो इसमें आ, सुप्रीम कोर्ट ने भी आ, ये कहा था कि जिन लोगों को छोड़ दिया गया है तो उ, उनको अब दोबारा मई तक का उनको टाइम दो ताकि वो दोबारा अप्लाई कर सकें उसमें हमने भी लोगों के जो डाटा थे वो शेयर किए दोनों जिलों के साथ जैसे म more than five hundred or six hundred families detail The, Supreme, the Supreme, Supreme Court
4: then extended the deadline till May, so that those people who had been left out could apply again. We also shared the data that we had collected with the districts of Muzaffar Nagar and Shamli details of around 500 to 600 families and then those people were awarded compensation the supreme court had also ordered further compensation to those who had already been awarded compensation by the state government the central government would provide rupees 2 lakhs in the event of death and rupees fifty thousand in the case of injury so along with the additional state government compensation it amounted to rupees 15 lakhs in the event of death and about 1 lakh in the event of serious injury For simple injuries, it amounted to about rupees twenty thousand. For rape victims, the amount was about five lakhs. The Supreme Court had given clear guidelines. After May twenty fourteen, even under these new guidelines, a lot of people were left out. So, once again, we did a survey of injury and property loss. In the village of Lisad, 400 villages had been looted. In Asani village, about 300 houses had been burned down. In Pugana also, there had been a lot of damage. In all cases, the damage had been assessed at low figures and the compensation did not match even the amounts to which damage was assessed.
3: 400 400 के 400 घर लूट लिए गए थे रिसार्ड में और ये कहिए कि आगजनी जो थी ना आगजनी तो मैं समझता हूँ मोर देन 300 घरों में पूरा एक तरफा जला दिया गया था ऐसा ही पुगाने में था पुगाने में भी बड़ी संख्या में मेजोरिटी जो थी ना वो मुस्लिम कम्युनिटी के जो घर थे उनको जला दिया गया था। और वहां भी ऐसा ही किया कि assessment both come kiya gaya aur assessment kiya tha utna bhi nahi diya jo list jari ki thi uske compensation nahi so, diya we to in cheezon mein bahut jo discrepancies thi jo isme gaps the wo identify kiye aur unko identify karke fir supreme court supreme court mein We
4: identified these gaps and the post Supreme high court, court. Uh, i filed the pir in its previous Supreme order, the Supreme Court had said that people could approach the court if they felt there had been gaps. We had followed those instructions, but the court then asked us to approach the High Court. We withdrew our case from the Supreme Court after the resolution and filed a case in 2018 at the Allahabad High Court. With this case, we are pursuing several objectives. First, we have pointed out those cases where distinct families have been treated as joint families and only the father has been given compensation. और फिर हमने
3: ये कंपनसेशन वगैरह और ये सारी चीजों का केस फाइल किया 2018 में अल्लाहबाद हाई कोर्ट में तो अल्लाहबाद हाई कोर्ट में हमारा जो केस है वो अलग-अलग कई मुद्दों पे है एक तो वो है यही जो कंपनसेशन हम कह रहे हैं तो बड़ी संख्या में मैं समझता हूँ कि ये लगभग 400 के आसपास हमने आईडें uh, परिवार ही नहीं माना उनको कहा कि ये फैमिली जॉइंट फैमिली थी और इनके फादर्स को हमने कंपनसेशन दे दिया तो ये एलिजिबल नहीं है और क्लियरली बहुत वेग तरीके से यानी कि ओपनली उन्होंने uh, uh, लिखा कि ये इनके फादर को दे दिया गया कई जगह ऐसा भी आया कि फादर की डेथ
4: where the award stated that the father had already been provided resettlement compensation where the father had passed away long before any violence occurred. We have filed RTI applications to find out more about such cases, but we haven't received any response. We have also raised the issue of property loss, which had not been assessed properly. There are situations where compensation has been awarded for property loss, but the resettlement compensation has not been awarded. They also asked the High Court to decide how a family would be determined. Would it be on the basis of having separate ration cards? Or would it be on the basis of separate living? In districts of Shamli and Muzaffarnagar, the state had made its determination on the basis of there being just a single entry into a dwelling, that there was only one family living there. They did not consider the number of rooms for people inside.
3: तो प्रॉपर्टी लॉस 25000 देना था वो दे दिया उसको फैमिली मानते हुए लेकिन जो 5 लाख देना था फैमिली आ, उस, उसको फैमिली आइडेंटिफाई करते हुए वो नहीं दिया तो ऐसे भी केसेस हैं तो ये सारे लूपहोल्स हैं इन इन, इन कंपनसेशन पॉलिसी को लेकर के और प्रॉपर्ली हमने सवाल उठाए हैं है हाई में भी को किसने माना है आप किसको कहेंगे जिसका अलग रह रहे हैं तो वो फैमिली होगी तो उन्हों इन्होंने क्या किया कि डिस्ट्रिक्श शामली ने भी और मुजफ्फरनगर ने भी कि एक अगर दरवाजा है घर में तो वो एक फैमिली हुई अंदर कितने कमरे हैं कितने लोग अलग रह रहे हैं कितने किचन हैं वो उन्होंने
4: in both these districts, there was a lot of corruption as well. People were told that their names would appear on the compensation lists if they paid Rs 50,000. The village head of some places told the victims that if they paid a certain amount, he would write a certificate stating that they were separate families living in that village.
3: अरेंज करा देंगे वो आपको इतना इतना देना है और हम लिख के देंगे यहां से कि आप एक सेपरेट फैमिली थे और इसी गांव के निवासी थे तो वहां वहां से भी आ, जो है करप्शन हुआ है तो इन सारी चीजों को देखते हुए यह देखा गया है कि जो कंपनसेशन पॉलिसी थी so it was not only
4: not a proper compensation policy, it was not implemented properly. Instead of encouraging people to go back securely from the places they were driven out of, the government relied only on claiming that compensation was provided. People who remember their villages tell us that their lives there were better. With the compensation of 5 lakhs provided to the father, they bought new land, But the children are still living on rent and under debt. वो
3: किया गया और उसमें अपनी सरकार ने वाहवाई लूटी कि हमने इतना कंपन्सेशन दे दिया कि किसी सरकार ने नहीं दिया तो ये चीज जो थी वो आ, सरकार की तरफ से बहुत गलत थी लोगों ने बाद में अपने गांव जब याद करते थे वो कहते थे कि हम गांव में ही अच्छा थे क्योंकि आ, फादर को कम्पनसेशन पांच लाख दिया दूसर किराए पे रहते रहे रेंट पे मकान लिया उसमें मजदूरी नहीं लगी कर्ज बंद हो गए तो ये सारे जो चीजें थी ना इसमें बहुत समस्याएं आई लोगों को तो पूरा जो प्रोसेस था कंपनसेशन का वो जो है जो जो जेओबी बनाया था उसके अनुसार भी उसको इंप्लीमेंट नहीं किया गया 2013
1: ऑनवर्ड्स Akram was working within the contours of the compensation schemes announced by the central and state governments. His aim was to get for as many of the internally displaced of Uttar Pradesh as he could manage the maximum compensation that they were entitled to under those schemes. Ten years before that in Gujarat, Gagan Sethi was also working on influencing those contours. What were the rights of Gujarat's internally displaced people? What kind of compensation would be just?
2: Um, You can keep them in a victim's trap by continuously giving, you know, dole or food and things like that. But if you take them into another identity, um, it also brings in a certain, um, how to put it, more than legitimacy, it gives them a space and scope uh, to see that there is a window to negotiate. And I think that, to me, was a very important uh, milestone. And we are, since we are talking strategies um, of... Uh, I was really not bothered for the international naming and shaming. I mean, there were many others who were doing a lot of that. Um, but to me, it was, uh, how do you build a community, uh, and resilient community, uh, who will be fighting for their own status, uh, because I knew it was going to take five, ten years. Um, and who were you educating
1: with in the central government?
2: Oh, with the prime minister. Um, largely, I met him twice, um, along with another group of people, um, and that is. And then we started saying, what should be? We, we we already started from uh, giving an identity to what should be the entitlement. Uh, and we started comparing, uh, and I think that was, again, an interesting strategy which worked, um, is that, how much did the Government of Gujarat give to the Narmada outstees? Should not that be the standard minimum, if not more, to those who were internally displaced? So we also started setting some benchmark based on which rehabilitation should take place. Very little of that happened at one level, but another level, because of that pressure, we finally got a package. If you remember, Manmohan Singh gave that package and what was the rights package, and we argued a lot for it and we things like that. But it was fairly a much more substantial package than what the government of Gujarat has put in its own policy. And then of course, the big question was, the central government gives the money, but the state government doesn't want to give that money. So then the question is damage assessment. Now remember, we had had a huge experience of damage assessment during the earthquake. And we saw, the same process with the damage assessment was being done where a house has totally been burnt because they used contraptions where everything inside would be smoked but the house stood. They gave issued an compensation of 200 rupees because none of the walls were broken. <laughs> the structure was there. So we had to then again ask for a reassessment. Um, and what should be the parameters. Just to tell you that at every stage, when you have a state, which even has the money given to it by the center, but doesn't want to give the money, because by doing that, it actually accepts the responsibility. So those were the challenges we were facing. But finally, we did get, I think the biggest compensation part was the ones who died, and the death compensation became a big package. The package on housing and all that was really perfunctory. The business package was there of those who lost this thing. um, I think was was a very long-drawn effort. So then you had a whole team of paralegals and lawyers working with different parts of the package. Those for death, those for business, those for housing, and those which are lost, those for injured. And then one had to build in specifically legal strategies to document that, to build a evidence, <laughs> to apply. So, and all this was possible because very quickly we had set up the AVHRS, which is the Antarik Vista Pithikraksha Samiti
1: you spoke about these uh, uh, the young men and women that you had recruited in all these camps to push forward the, uh, the process of uh, claiming compensation can you talk about any interesting things any successes that uh, shown through from the work that these people were doing anything in particular that you know we should remember moving forward as well
2: i think um, as i said um, we were able to get almost 99% of those who had died we managed to get compensation for them um, for the maybe uh, to, you know 20 20 odd thousand houses which were burnt uh, we could get easily for about 12000 uh, for 8000 the compensation was very minimal uh, businesses very little uh, there we didn't succeed uh, much uh, because the whole system was there to be given a bank loan, come this and that, and we never focused too much on that. Uh, so I think that was a, uh, not a very uh, successful uh, bid to get those compensation for those who lost money. For big business, and remember, there was a lot of big business uh, which lost money. Uh, but the point is, um, there was uh, we had the center which had given the money. They put a very the government of Gujarat put a very small babu <laughs> uh, in charge of the whole thing. Um, so I think we managed to put at every district level so much of pressure from the collectors that I think they uh, they realize that if they don't do this, they will have a further law and order problem. Um, so I think um, we we managed to get a lot of that. Um, so. A lot of people remember our work across colonies uh, because all of them did get something out of this whole process. Uh, some of, I must say, about maybe 15% may have been totally left out, uh, especially many who moved out from colonies into, into houses, uh, existing ghettoization. But remember, the process, the flip side of the process is that we were partisan to ghettoizing the Muslim community in Gujarat. And I would say I'm responsible <laughs> because very few were ready to go back. Over the years, then they have started, some of them have sold their lands, made some money, some of them have gone back. But I think the biggest negative process out of this process of colony building, and there were hundred and Two hundred and eight of them, uh, which were built, um, is that from an integrated society, um, Muslims in Gujarat became almost hundred percent ghettoized and maybe that was the design uh, of what the government wanted.
1: In terms of actually pushing the uh, process for claiming compensation with the the district administration friend, right um, you know, um, what are the
2: things that, you know, for example, young lawyers can keep in mind? Um... You know, I, I just think um, it's at that level, Aju. It's what is called procedural and dirty work. You need to get your papers right. You need to get your identifiers right. It's, there is no rosy-eyed law there. <laughs> it's all about being able to uh, get your formats right. Uh, get your evidences right, get your death certificates right um, so it's it's donkey's work it's donkey's work, but at the end of the day um, it's procedural work um, and therefore it's what you need is a paralegal lawyer who can a lawyer who can advise and ensure that the paralegal get the right documents. Um, so. There is no great um, legal master mastery there, which is what is true for all uh, for all lower court work. Lower court work is not about law; it's about procedure. Um, so you have a policy, uh, you have a, and under that, then you need to operate within that. But we were getting the cumulative data. And then wherever the thing was not working, we could collectively then take that up and work with the government at the state and the center and then threaten them with a continuing lawsuit, which we had at the High Court. Can you give an example of you know what that data showed and how you used the data uh, so at a macro level? Basically, we had real-time data as to how many deaths were not given, how many were there how many houses what were this thing was this thing um, assessments were not done well or you know so we had to constantly get that data and we had our lawsuit going on in the high court with a pil and we had a very amazing lawyer amit panchal who sort of who was also earlier with us on the right to food campaign so he uh, sort of took up the matter for us and it was One continuous monitoring, so we didn't allow the case to close. We actually got the High Court to continuously monitor the operationalization of the package. And then the High Court continuously giving um, orders, the government not following it, we going back to them. So it is one year, two year, three years, so it goes on. So, of course, I assume that you know that I had, I was the petitioner along with Yusuf, the Antarik Vistapit Hakrakshak Samiti Chairperson. We too were the petitioners in the High Court. Um, and that was the point through which we were continuously talking to the state government. We were not talking to going and having a meeting with the politician. Uh, I never met them. Um, but we were got the court to mediate that process. And Chief Justice after Chief Justice changed, you know what happened. Um, but we managed to continue um, with, of course, also the Human Rights Commission asking also the good questions at times. So, getting these two bodies, um, it, Supreme Court, we went only for the Bill Banu case. We didn't go. My Supreme Court case on on um, the uh, victims' compensation is still in the back burner till today. It's not even come up. Um, after the High Court thing ended six years later that we went there, we are still not satisfied, blah, blah, blah. But the strategy, if you're asking, is keep a High Court PIL alive. And we have the NHRC monitoring system alive. And we have a community, uh, and a community, organized community, where data collection, real-time stories, evidence building through a system is in place and then you steer that all that process continuously
1: cut to 2020 when mishika singh reveals the frustration of working within the compensation scheme announced by the delhi government
0: so this is the beauty of the compensation scheme which came on 27 december that there's absolutely no procedures every time there's something new that's happening earlier they said aap sid form de do le lenge then they said, form ke ye, ye, ye we need these certain documents. Then they said, a copy of complaint will do. Then they said, no, we need a copy of the FIR. Then they said, we won't take bulk FIRs. Now they're saying that the person who's suffered loss, earlier they said, if I've suffered loss, now I don't have a bank account. I can say, please give the money to XYZ. I will take it from them. That's my business. Earlier they were okay with that. After that, they started having a problem with that also ki bank nahin, to So this entire compensation scheme has been one confusing, uh, uh, you know, uh, one confusing thing after the other. Like people really don't know what is happening and how things are supposed to really function. So we've asked uh, for some sort of rules to be announced. It doesn't say if I file a form, then what happens? Who has to come for inspection? It's just uh, a big eyewash uh, that's uh, there in terms of um, uh, in terms of the procedure to be followed. The categories are, you know, death. So there's death of major, there's death of minor. Uh, there is uh, permanent incapacitation. There's injury, So again, serious or minor. If uh, then there's rickshaw loss, and uh, you know, if you lose normal rickshaw, what happens? Residential units. So in residential units, there are three categories, total damage, substantial damage, and minor damage. But amazingly, people who have dist- uh, lost their entire house, like three floors of the house has been burned, looted, vandalized. For that also, the SDM has published a list and called it substantial damage. So we still don't know what is total damage. There is no provision of getting your inspection report that on what basis has compensation being granted. We have a person who lost three stories of his house and to him, final compensation has been given as 5,000. Now, what is the basis? Why was that money so low? There's absolutely no way of knowing that. There's no provision for that. There's no provision for appeal. If I'm not satisfied with my damage, that has been uh, the compensation that's been allotted to me. I don't know how to appeal. I don't know where to go. I don't know who to raise this with. So the compensation scheme that has been announced has been, uh, it's been terribly sort uh, of uh,
1: implemented. Um, do you feel that at least over time the procedure is getting crystallized, there's more clarity that uh, victims now have?
0: Not really, not really. because after 20th of March they turned down new people, they said uh, we are not going to take any more compensation from uh, And for no good reason, when we asked that where is this deadline published, they said that we will tell you deadline and so we tried telling them that if you have a deadline, you announce it in advance so that people know that this is the deadline. You don't announce it that day saying our deadline is 3. Because a lot of riot victims are not there and you can't wait 3 weeks for riot victims to come and you know, there are people injured and in hospitals hospital suffering from a lot of shock and trauma. So that happened and uh, recently we went to the High Court and asked for uh, this new compensation forms to be, uh, to be uh, submitted for uh, them to be accepted by the SDM but today these petitioners went and this is the third time they went and the, the SDM abused them and chased them away so definitely there has not been any movement and that's why we forced to move to court now there are at thousand victims how many do we move to court uh, for and uh, it's a shame that uh, uh, now you know uh, now the SDM is saying things like uh, You are showing me photos and videos of your house, how do I know it's your house? When we ask them to come and inspect then they don't even come and inspect so it's just, it's bizarre what is happening.
1: Do you think there's been sufficient um, uh, legal service that has been provided?
0: The Delhi government also said that Delhi Legal States, uh, Services Authority will be deployed at all of these uh, SDMs that are there. So, Karabal Nagar and Sri and all these SDM offices will have five people sitting from the Delhi Legal Services Authority and they will help in filing the form. So these are paralegals who did not know anything, they were inundated with work, they were too many people. So, from the point of view, of, from the side of the government there has been no legal help. Otherwise, we uh, have been working on this pro bono for the last four months. And because these victims came to our camp and eventually, because of the lockdown, they were left without any food, without any detention, without any place to stay. Then we also shifted to that work. So it's mostly been, uh, whatever care has been taken of these victims has been crowdfunded, legally, everything is happening properly. There's, uh, there's no, uh, it's only, and it's mostly been on voluntary basis, which is why it's also been sort of in and out. There are only very few of us, or uh, I'd say around 10 of us who've been there permanently changing these cases and are still working on them because uh, other people were giving whatever time they could have, but obviously it's a voluntary thing. And it's, uh, it's, uh, uh, they have other commitments as well, so it, it's, we, going by fine but uh, it's, it could have been better if the Delhi government had been more, pro- more proactive in the kind of things they promised. I understand how legal knowledge is important but I think in cases such as these you also need people to have some sort of sensitivity training done to deal with these victims who have not only suffered financially uh, but also have suffered mentally and are going through trauma so I think that is something that, uh, especially it's a legal aid, uh, you know, service. And if they're uh, catering to people from a particular section or as an aftermath of a trauma, I think that's the first thing that they should do is do a sensitivity training, uh, explaining uh, there was a lack of explaining these uh, people and giving them straight answers of what is happening. So I think that is something that was also lacking the victims who went to these people came back saying we don't they, they don't explain anything, they just say this, they don't tell us what, uh, is it okay, like if they ask me for a voter ID and if I say I don't have my voter ID because it got burnt, they don't tell me the consequences, they don't tell me if a voter ID, then will uh, form. Yeah, reject ho I don't know why they are asking me these questions and I don't know what the consequences are. So that was another thing that was lacking that they didn't really explain what they were doing. And the third and the most important thing I think is that they weren't really motivated to be there. They were there because they would signed up for it but uh, that's mostly about it. You can't have 5 people sitting for a couple of hours in a day and now they, they're all gone. They're nowhere. I, there's nothing happening anymore. So if you're dealing with right victims, uh, victims of communal violence, especially when these cases are likely to last for years and years, you can't have someone sitting for 20 days and then be like, as a government, we've taken care of the legal services." So I think these are the main things that were missing uh, and that that the whole thing of having the LSA was just an eyewash, a bad one at that. I am
1: now going to quote from a report by Asmita Nandi, published in the Quint on July 7th, 2020. Start quote. According to the compensation scheme announced by Chief Minister Arvind Kejriwal two days after the violence, an immediate relief of Rs 25,000 was supposed to have been given per household in case of substantial or total damage of the house and for loss of household items. The balance would have to be evaluated and dispersed after proper assessment. However, speaking to the Quint, SDM Karawal Nagar P.K. Patel said, The initial relief amount was supposed to be given to only those people whose houses have been burnt. That is what we have been doing from the beginning. Out of fear, many victims left Delhi after the riots and returned only on imposition of lockdown. Many may still not have returned. Two such victims who returned to Delhi only in the second half of March were not able to file their compensation forms with the SDM, the authority responsible for evaluating and processing claims. End quote. And let me now read out another passage later in the report. Start quote. The lockdown kept delaying the process of filing their claims, but even after it was relaxed and government offices were allowed to function, the SDM office remained shut. The online portal that was set up by the Delhi government to expedite the process of relief also stopped functioning soon after it was launched and was not operational throughout the lockdown. Despite multiple visits to the police station for filing a complaint and registration of FIR, no action was taken by the police. Left without any source of income and stripped of dignity, both Neha and Mohsin's family approached the Delhi High Court to seek intervention. The Delhi High Court, on 22 June, ordered the SDM office to immediately restart the compensation procedure and reboot the online portal where complaints can be accepted and where victims can track the status of the form. The court also directed that compensation forms of the petitioners be accepted without insisting on a copy of FIR. The matter was argued by Advocate Rajshikhar Rao and the petition was filed by Advocate Anchal Tikmani. Two days before the matter was listed, when a copy of the petition was sent to the Commissioner of Police and the SDM. The station house officer from Karawal Nagar police station made several calls to Neha and told her that her FIR will be registered immediately. He also asked, Aapki itni upar kaise hai? How do you have access to the authorities above? Despite the High Court order, on 24th June when the petitioners visited the SDM office, they found a handwritten notice outside the gate that specifically stated, "Yahan DC office complex mein, prakar public dealing No public dealings are taking place in this DC office complex as a result of outbreak of coronavirus. As a result, no public dealings will take place at the said building until further orders. End quote. Let us acknowledge the work of Mishika Singh and her colleagues as they grapple with the compensation bureaucracy in Delhi and turn our attention to the second, and in some ways, a far more difficult route to getting justice for the victims of communal violence. That is, using the criminal legal process to fix responsibility on the perpetrators of violence. After the events of 2002, Gagan Sethi was quite strategic in the use of this route.
2: And there were many actors there from Tista Setelvads and Harsh Mandar and um and we were a group uh, we were working somewhere in tandem but we had different strategies because we had different uh, ways to look at uh, things i mean i only want you know um,
1: um to know how your uh, strategy with respect to uh, uh, representing victims as a group and how your strategy with
2: respect to representing victims as individuals how your approaches differed in these cases For me, it was very clear. Out of the thousands and thousands of cases, um, we actually chose 10. And we wrote to the NHRC that these 10 need a special investigation because these 10, in different ways, will tell many things. One, the Bilkis Banu, which we took to fruition. Um, And there were uh, Mohamed Pura. There are 10 of them. I can even send you the list. Uh, which we gave, and the the NHRC asked the government of Gujarat to appoint special, uh, this thing on that. One uh, showing mass killings, one showing the spread of it, uh, but all the places where the crime was heinous um, to basically build the narrative that if these 10 cases are there, it proves the other narrative totally wrong. Whereas, I had a a friend like Harshmander who said we should take up all the 5,000 cases. Um, Or you had Tista, who wanted to take up, you know, intervene in many cases. I think there are different strategies. I won't say I was right, they were right, which is better. But I think we followed different strategies. We were engaging, sharing information. But we stuck to 10 cases. And, and the biggest case that which actually set the framework of and proved what was happening was the Bilkes Banu case. A case which is closed down by the, uh, by the police. It's, a, uh, it's in the camp where Justice Varma and I and Namudri went where uh, we are told that this is what happened to her. The uh, collector is told. She takes it up, the case is again, um, there's a c-summary filed, and then we ask the NHRC to go to the Supreme Court and then the Supreme Court orders a CBI inquiry and the court and then orders that the case go out of Amgujar. Uh, so it was the first case where CBI was inquiring because that proved that the local system was not trustworthy. We even proved that the local judiciary is not trustworthy, and therefore, and also that the prosecutor be of the choice of the victim. So these were the landmark changes we got out of that one case. And then, of course, the story of Bilkir Manu, and I won't go into that, that's well recorded. You can read it in any amount of time. We got the first victory in the in Bombay, um, in the trial court. Uh, she must have had to go almost 47 times from uh, Gujarat to Bombay. How she went, I mean, those are all then... Uh, and how do you sustain? Because on the other hand, you had um, you had an issue like Zahira, where it was flip-flop, where she was being paid. How do you keep such victims out of the sight of media? You never brought her to the media except twice in 10 years. Um, you see to it that their family is secure you see to it that their family is well provided for by the community i mean those are then to handle one case uh, just to prove a larger point but still to actually prove that justice is not available <laughs> when you put that kind of energy to do one case what have you actually proved you proved that justice is not available to the common person that it only needs so many institutions to come together to be able to take one case through. Um, so, we actually, when people congratulate me, I I laugh. I say, what are you congratulating me for? To prove that justice is not available. <laughs> you give me a shield today, we work for this, but actually what have I proved? That common man, and when such things happen, justice is not available. It needs uh, how many, how much of resource, and how many people doing nothing else um, but to see that this case goes. So, you know, individual cases in communal violence to get take them right through the end requires dedicated teams who don't do anything else.
1: Whichever method you choose to provide justice to the victims of large-scale violence, the challenges are too big to be faced alone. Lawyers providing leadership in such situations seem to need reserves of energy that are inexhaustible. One action that may help is to equip some of the victims with the skills and tools necessary to push the legal process forward. Earlier in this episode, we learned from Gavin Sethi about how he was able to train some of the internally displaced people of Gujarat in 2002 to speak the language of entitlements that were due to them under law after 2013 akram was also training the internally displaced of muzaffarnagar nagar to advocate for their own rights
3: इसमें यह कि जो जिस तरह के से हम के हम काम मतलब ज़्यादा नॉलेज नहीं थी इन सब चीजों के बारे में वो पढ़े लिखे थे टेन प्लस टू और ग्रेजुएशन वो सब कर रखे थे लेकिन वो कंपटीशन पॉलिसी लीगल प्रोसेस इसके बारे में नहीं थे तो वो काम करते गए जानते गए पढ़ते गए और लोकल जो कुछ लॉयर भी थे वो भी जुड़े तो कम्युनिटी लेवल पे हमन we were working through paralegals and we had many training
4: training colleagues who, no though educated, did not have much knowledge about matters such as the compensation policy. They learned about it and were also joined by local lawyers. The other experience we had was that we were able to engage the youth from the victim community. We asked them to learn these issues because they would have to be the ones to pursue these processes. We did some training, including on some occasions in Delhi, on how to take the process forward, how to petition the NHRC, and how to make an application before the district authorities.
3: Uh, 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 We
4: had started this process at a community level and we felt that we succeeded. In each cluster, we were able to identify a few people, we focused on their education and they then came forward to work with the legal process as
3: well.
4: A mere 10 or 15 people are not enough for this work. It's important to train families into victims and tell them that they will have to move the process forward themselves and so understand everything themselves. In Muzaffar Nagar, several boys have moved forward with their education. Some have gone to other states to This has been a good experience. Some have become Russian dealers. Some are running their own shops, and they're training others and helping with the legal process. This has continued up to now. A good experience has been that the literate among the victim community and the women came together to push the process forward, to get new ration cards, to get electricity connections, and other things. Women were able to advocate with the district administration regarding the conditions in their colonies. So we were able to engage the community in these processes, whether it was the legal process or the process for seeking
3: compensation.
1: On a previous episode of the nagrik podcast, we had spoken to Nupur Sinha about the Centre for Social Justice and its network of grassroots lawyers. This network that Gagan Sethi had also helped establish would become one of the key tools in his work for the internally displaced of Gujarat. In Uttar Pradesh, Akram was also able to count on the support of some lawyers from the local bar and in August 2013, he founded the Afkar India Foundation to support marginalised sections of society as they demanded their constitutional rights and citizenship entitlements. By 2018, he would also complete the legal education that had been interrupted by the violence in Muzaffarnagar Nagar and qualify as an advocate. Mishika Singh, who very recently launched the NIV Foundation for Legal Aid to make justice accessible to all through pro bono legal work and advocacy, is still very much in the thick of securing justice for the victims of Delhi she gets the last word in this episode of the nagrik podcast
0: i think the two most distinguishing uh, things that uh, that led to this uh, surviving for so long and working so smoothly and so beautifully uh, one was that you know there's no hierarchy It's not like there's one person deciding what others have to do or there's a group of people commanding other people or there's some, uh, uh, you know, organized collection where uh, you have to come and enroll yourself or give in your name. It's been purely voluntary. People have joined, people have left. uh, So uh, in by I think since before the riots only since around Jan, Feb only there was uh, a very clear uh, sort of idea of who all are actually available and who all are not available so you would accordingly reach out to those people and the second thing has been that uh, uh, despite not knowing each other very well there has been this common motivation to uh, take a stand for what we feel is right and uh, defending uh, the legal rights of people irrespective of which side of the fight they are on. So I think that has been that self-motivation, uh, that self-drive uh, has been uh, is something that has really helped us come a long way.
1: Mishika is not alone. Anyone with a deep engagement in public life seemingly requires a perpetual internal source of motivation. Sometimes, they are even operating on an empty tank. If you liked this episode of the Nagrik podcast, please send it to your friends, colleagues and family. Perhaps these stories of lawyers who maintained optimism while challenging almost insurmountable obstacles is exactly what will inspire someone to participate more actively in civic and public life. If you leave us a rating or a review on the podcast platform that you are using, it makes it easier for others to discover us. Until the next episode where we will learn from some others who have participated in or studied civic action in public life, I take your leave. My name is Aju John, this is the Nagrik Podcast, and I thank you all for listening.